Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Get Into It with Gila. I'm Gila Glassberg, your host, registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. And I'm really excited to be putting out this podcast this week. I wasn't sure if I was going to make it here, but here we are. I'm actually recording this intro on Sunday, um, May 29th. And um, hopefully the podcast will be put out one day this week, God willing. Um, I interviewed Hani Finger, and I find this to be super appropriate for uh, putting this out this week. I am due this week, but also I just found our conversation to be really interesting. Really interesting, and don't mind my son Nachemia in the background as I try to work on Sunday. Um, I found this to be really interesting and enlightening in terms of just diet culture in general, how diet culture affects us, how diet culture affects us moms after we get while we're pregnant, after we give birth, um, and how the focus is so central on our body and how our body looks, especially after such a powerful life experience of literally carrying a baby for nine months and bringing a baby into this world and feeding a baby and then, you know, nurturing a baby, all those things. So like one of my main jobs as an intuitive eating dietitian is to help moms realize the magnitude of and the beauty of what our bodies have went through and yes that might mean that now our hips are bigger and now we have stretch marks but that's all part of being a human and being a woman and it's really actually a very beautiful thing so um i think that for me at least it feels very appropriate to be putting this out and not that this really has anything to do with Shavuos, but I know that just in general, the Jewish holidays do bring up a lot of feelings around food, body image, um, and diet culture talk. So I just feel like this is something that definitely reinforces the message of intuitive eating, health at every size, body love, body peace. And, you know, I have some um, sessions with clients that just leave me feeling very sad and feeling like, wow, like there's still so much more work to be done. Like eating disorders are just alive, so alive and well. Um, not just the regular disordered eating of diet talk, but just, you know, people, um, um, women in their 20s and 30s and 40s and above, and then just girls, nine-year-old girls, 10-year-old girls, teenage girls, just not just struggling with disordered eating, but real eating disorders where they are really struggling to actually eat and really function. And I always just say like that really drives me to continue doing what I'm doing. Sometimes I feel like, wow, I'm just like swimming uphill. Like everybody just really wants to lose weight and be on a diet. And then I like have sort of like an aha moment where I'm like, no, people don't really want that. Like they really want food peace and they really want food freedom and they really want to live a life where much more aligned with their values than just being obsessed with losing weight. So it just sort of like informs my work and makes me want to do this even more. So um, I really hope you enjoy this episode. Please subscribe to the podcast. Follow me on Instagram at RD. There might be some lull in the next few weeks, God willing, um, but I'm still here. I'm still around. I still check my emails and my dms and i love to hear your feedback and your stories and um i think you're really gonna enjoy this episode so without further ado here it is hi everyone and welcome to my podcast get into it with gila i know you're going to love the content here because you will gain inspiration powerful tools and insights and valuable knowledge if you want more of this, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or visit me on Instagram at Gila Glassberg. I'm Gila Glassberg, a registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. I've come to realize by counseling many, many women that this work is much deeper and greater than food and body image. It's the bigger picture challenges we face of love, belonging, acceptance, what our true values and goals are, noticing them, addressing them, and gaining skills to move forward. If you have been struggling with what your life's purpose is, or you just feel stuck in general and don't know what's holding you back, this podcast will enlighten and inspire you to take action and move forward. This podcast is about other women in the 21st century who feel that losing weight will fix all their problems or somehow meet their unmet needs. Welcome to another episode of Get Into It with Gila. I'm Gila Glassberg, and today I have Hani Finger. Hi, Hani. How are you? 
Hi, good, thank God. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on. Oh my God, it's, it's been a while in the making. Yeah. Um, so could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Where do you live and what do you do? Okay, so I am a labor and delivery nurse. I live in Waterbury, Connecticut. Um, I've been a labor and delivery nurse for about eight years. And um, that extended to me starting an Instagram account about two years ago and um, just increasing my reach to more people in terms of education. And then also uh, I started a podcast too, the Happy Birthway podcast. And you also have the Yoletta community. Sorry. Sorry, I'm having difficulty hearing you. Can you repeat that? You also started yes and then i i do i have a community and i have a childbirth uh, i have a after the birth course um where i talk about everything not everything but most things that you need to know for the immediate postpartum period um and then i have yolada community which is a subscription-based membership where we have meetups we have a forum and I get more individual with uh, information and education for people, depending on their specific questions. Oh, great. Friends living in for eight years. Always know that you wanted to be a nurse. No, I didn't at all. I, um, I've like, remember when I was in high school, like a senior and starting to think about what I, what career I would pursue. I, someone mentioned a nurse. And I said to them, I'm like, a nurse? That's like somebody who works nights, like wiping people's butts. Like, why Why would I want to be a, a nurse? And then I... Um, why, do, why do you think that person recommended that for you? No, it was just, you know, we were talking about a variety of different um, professions. And just exploring mental health was something that really called to me social work. And... Um, just exploring, you know, physical therapy, PT, you know, the usual, right. The typical good Jewish girl professions. Yes. And actually at that time, uh, nursing was a little bit more out of the box. I know right now it's a lot more common, but then it was a little bit more like even out of the box. Now. I'm sorry. I can't hear you. Let me just. Try one more thing. Okay. You wanted to do. Um, somebody said nursing and you're like, no, I'm not doing that. It sounds too, I don't know. Are you like squeamish? Like, are you somebody that gets squeamish? No, I just didn't think about it. You know, some people grow up with like family members who are medical. So this is something that they want to do or they form some interest. I wasn't really exposed to anyone that did anything in the medical field in particular. So I just, I didn't explore it. I was very pulled toward mental health. So that was just something that I was, um, you know, that was what I was thought I was going to pursue. And I, I didn't think much about it. And um, you end up pursuing. So after the birth of my first, I had just graduated my undergrad and I am an information junkie. I just love learning all I can, especially about something that pertains to me specifically. And suddenly the entire world of pregnancy and birth and postpartum and newborn care opened up to me. I Whereas I had never thought about it before. I wasn't really, you know, I didn't have... Um, I didn't, I wasn't growing up with like tons of people around me pregnant and everything. And I learned as much as I could. I read every single book that I can get my hands on. I took a childbirth education course and, um, you know, my birth was pretty straightforward, but it was a very negative experience. The staff did not treat me well and I didn't choose a good provider I remember like reading things and asking my doctor about it and he would just roll his eyes, which right now I know was a red flag. Um, and, you know, things were done without my consent to me. So even though things went well, you know, like I remember I was pushing and the doctor says, oh, it's going to take you a long time, walked out. 
and I'm the kind of personality I'm like, I'll show you. So, you know, and, and, and I pushed and a few minutes later, he had to come in running because he almost missed it. Things like that, you know, like I had a laceration, I had a tear after birth and then I had some complications afterward. And when I asked about what's going on, why am I experiencing these symptoms? There was no, it was, I was infantilized. There was no clear answer. It was just like, oh, don't worry, I fixed it things like that. And so I started to think about, you know, I finished my undergrad and like I said, I was in the mental health track and I started to think about, you know what, I want to be a labor and delivery nurse because I love this stuff so much. And I want to be a good nurse. I want to provide support to women the way they should, the way I should have received that support. Um, And then, you know, so the rest is history. I became a labor and delivery nurse. You were finishing your undergrad and then you went back to school, got your like nursing prereqs and then went to nursing school. Exactly. Right. So it's a, you know, I, I, it was a second degree accelerated program, but first there were about three semesters that I had to do of certain science prereq courses that I had not done my undergrad and um, then went to NYU. It was a great program. I loved it so much. They're actually focus a lot on academic, the academic side of the rationale behind why we do things, research, et cetera. And um, their philosophy was, was that once you become a nurse, you're going to learn the skills. Um, So even if it'll take you maybe a slightly longer to learn the skills, you're going to learn the skills, but many nurses will not go back to school. And um, this is their opportunity to actually focus on the academics, the why behind things, the evidence-based practice, the leadership, and so it was really great. I, I graduated with uh, three kids by that time. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I graduated summa cum laude, 3.97 GPA. I don't know how. I don't think I'd be able to pull it off anymore. You were, so you were living in New York at the time? Yes, I was. I was living in New York. And then um, we, we finished, I finished my degree and, just, and that was when we moved to Waterbury. So are you originally from New York? Yes, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Okay, cool. So, okay. So you, it's, it's, it was good timing, I guess, when you had your first baby, because like some people like actually do pursue like a full career and then they're like, wait, I don't want to do this. But you like kind of had that calling just by experiencing pregnancy. And did, did you like being pregnant? Like you're the first time you were pregnant where, like you said, you weren't exposed to so many pregnant people. Like you really enjoyed that experience besides for the negative experience of giving birth. Did you enjoy like being pregnant? I have pretty hard pregnancies, not no high risk complications. They're just, I don't feel well. I don't feel well. My first trimester, I don't feel well. My second trimester, um, actually my second trimester, I feel pretty good. And um, my third trimester was also, you know, just uncomfortable. And interesting you ask, because from the nutritional standpoint, I really had no awareness of really, uh, you know, nutrition, I had no, thankfully, no body image issues prior to that. I um, was pretty confident with myself. And then over the pregnancy, I gained a lot of weight, you know, more than the recommended amount. And to me, you know, all my friends were getting pregnant at the time, having babies. So to me, I said, all right, so, you know, I'll have the baby and I'll, I'll lose all the weight and I'll be right back to myself. What's the big deal? And um, I, I did not lose all the weight after I had my baby. You know, they tell you, oh, breastfeed, because that's going to help you lose all the weight. Like, that's a lie, by the way. And that shouldn't be the reason why you should want to breastfeed. So for some people, yes, it, it may. But it was at that point when I said, okay, I have to go on a diet. And I remember friends dieting in high school and me thinking like, that's so sad. Like, you know, not having the good foods. I like food and it made me happy. And so that was my first encounter with the entire, um, the entire downward cycle of dieting. And, um, you know, I started to really obsess over it and I had this goal. I wanted to lose a, a certain amount of weight before I got pregnant with my second. And then when I got pregnant with my second, I actually had a, a, a nicer pregnancy um, with him, even though, you know, I had another little baby in, in with me, but I felt, I, I felt better, but I obsessively exercised 
you know, obsessively and obsessively focused on my weight. Um, and I didn't eat healthy. You, you don't have to eat healthy to be on a diet to calorie restrict. So it's not like I ate healthy. It's not like I focused on nutrition, dense, nutritionally dense foods. I, I just made sure that I limited my food intake so that I uh, would keep my weight down to a certain amount. And everyone said that you, it's going to be easier for you to lose weight. Um, and, you know, with the exercise, I enjoyed, I enjoyed a lot of, you know, the parts of exercise, but I wasn't doing it from a place of enjoyment. I was doing it from a place of punishment, of guilt, of I have to do this because otherwise I will gain too much weight and I'll have the same negative experience that I did with my daughter. And then after I had my baby, same thing. I probably even gained weight after I was, you know, after I had my baby, uh, my second one. Um, so I was of the, I guess, the group of people that really, not only did I not lose weight, maybe I even gained weight postpartum. And that was very hard for me because I looked at everyone around me and they all seemed to have been losing weight. So once again, I went down that entire downward cycle of, of dieting. And it was a new diet that I tried. And the whoever the nutritionist was said, oh, well, this should be your goal weight. Like this wasn't even a nutritionist, mind you. This was like some, you know, diet coach or something who had also lost their weight and they just made some program or something that was completely unhealthy again. And this weight was not an attainable weight for my body. My body is not made to have been this weight, um, which I now, now know that. But I remember having those last 10 pounds to lose and, and just feeling really low about myself, feeling like a failure, like it must be that I am not able to control, in air quotes, myself, that I must be gluttonous, that I have no discipline. And that must be why I'm not losing those last 10 pounds. Meanwhile, the whole dieting was making me so miserable. Like I just, I didn't want to diet anymore. And I remember that fear also of like, so will I have to diet for the rest of my life in order not to gain weight? Like what's going to be? So this, this whole entire, you know, I would say pregnancy was really what propelled me to like focus on my body and how it looked and the exercise and the diet and et cetera. And then this happened after baby number three and baby number four. Um, until I finally came to a place of more peace right now. So when you were pregnant with your, so when you were in high school or like growing up, there wasn't any like diet talk in your house or like, or whatever, it didn't affect you. Like you felt really good about your body and like you felt confident and you didn't feel like you had to lose weight and you didn't like think about it. Like you ate when you wanted to stop when you were done. And then when you got pregnant and you gained weight or after the pregnancy, you're like, oh my God, I have to lose weight. Like you think that that was just triggered by like the society that we live in, or like that it was like super uncomfortable for you to be in like a different type of body. Like, what do you think, like, what, what do you think was like the biggest impetus for you to like sort of get on the dieting bandwagon? I think I was shocked at how much my body changed mm -hmm. after I had my baby. I really think that that was for me, the number one reason why I got into the whole dieting thing. Again, growing up, I, there was some diet talk around me from my friends that were heavier, you know, and then there were some friends that were very thin and I wasn't, my body's built, not very thin. And I was kind of a little bit like jealous, like, oh, they can eat whatever they want, but it wasn't something that really affected me tremendously, um, that I would focus on too much. Um, you know, so there, there was some talk, but again, it was just the fact that my body changed so much in so many ways and the realization, because I remember being pregnant with my first and thinking, okay, my body's changing so much, but that's because I'm pregnant. I kept reminding myself, you will go back to how you were. And that didn't turn out to be the truth, but that's what I told myself. So when I wasn't back to where I was, that was really what, bothered me and distressed me very much do you like if it's okay to ask do you see that um with your with your client with your patients with your with people who join your Yoletta community that it's like a very big part of like like pregnancy postpartum that women are struggling to like see their new body or accept their new body or they had no clue how much their body was going to change like is that something that you see a lot I definitely hear it a lot from women 
um, with my patients, this is more of a short term relationship that we have because I work in labor and deliveries. So I see them just for a short point in time. But even then there are always comments many times, you know, oh, I got stretch marks or, oh, there are a lot of comments, unfortunately, by the medical staff, certain, you know, staff members will say, oh, she gained too much weight. Her BMI is too high. She's not going to have good outcomes or implying that it's because this person cannot control themselves, um, things like that. And there's also this marvel at somebody who gave birth and their stomach is right away so small. And the healthcare staff at the birth all marvel and exclaim, wow, you look like you never had a baby. Wow, look at your stomach, it's so flat. So again, perpetuating that unhealthy view of how important it is to go back to your body. And yes, people tell me all the time, I feel like I'm not in my own body. I feel like I am, I, I, I'm not able to do the things that I used to do health-wise, uh, fitness-wise, and it's so hard for me. Um, but I, I, do, I do hear it a lot from women. And unfortunately, I do see a lot of women go on these really restrictive diets that are probably not good for their, that are not good for their milk supply. Women will say, oh yeah, well, I went on this diet and my milk supply dipped, but at the expense of feeding their baby because they intended to breastfeed, they, um, their baby loses out because their milk supply is not as good. And uh, people who lose sleep because they need to exercise and somehow fit it into their schedule. People who, um, I had one other, one other point that I was going to make, but people who, who, you know, are, are, they're not able to sleep because they're people who, you know, quit breastfeeding, because again, it's a myth that everybody loses weight from breastfeeding. That's not true for some people. They quit breastfeeding and then they lose weight so prematurely. Whereas if that wouldn't have been a problem, they would have um, quit sooner, you know, and a lot of people having to deal with comments on their bodies and especially when they start losing weight and people complimenting them and saying, wow, you look so good, which again, perpetuates the unhealthy focus on what somebody's body should look like after they have a baby and that we should all aspire to putting weight loss as our number one priority over anything else. It's like, why, why is it a compliment that a woman's body looks like she didn't just have a baby when she did just have a baby and her, she has stretch marks because her stomach stretched and she, her stomach's bigger because there was a baby in there. Like it's just become so like obsessive and doesn't even make any sense, like totally focusing on the wrong things. Um, so and it's not to say, it's not to say that it, I think that it's completely okay to struggle with how your body changed after you gave birth, um, especially if your body is not going back to the way it was. I think that's a very normal thing to do. Um, but at the same time, it's, I think that the way we go about it, most commonly, the culture around it is not healthy. So you, so you kind of like went through that whole thing with all your babies, like gaining weight, feeling out of, you know, um, trying to lose weight, feeling out of control, feeling like less than feeling like you're doing something wrong, like really feeling like if, if I had more willpower, even though you were trying really hard to lose weight. Um, and then you said like something shifted that you were just like putting too much focus on it. So did you learn about intuitive eating, health at every size? Like how did that, what, what happened for you? So firstly, um, I also, I want to mention that with my two pregnancies, you know, with my second pregnancy, like I said, I focused very much, very heavily on, on how much weight I would gain. And this was really restrictive with my food intake. I'm really proud of myself for that. And my next two pregnancies, I let go a little bit because I realized my body is meant to gain what it's, it's meant to gain. Because even with baby number two, I gained within the normal, you know, limits after being so on it restrictive in an unhealthy way. So I just want to say that, like, I just realized everybody's bodies are meant to gain um, a certain amount of weight, whether that's little or a lot, but people's metabolisms and their bodies are engineered 
to do that, um, regardless of their intake. And if they're extremely restrictive, that's not healthy, even if they're their weight gain is higher, and the whole focus of doctors on, um, you know, you have to, you have to gain X amount of weight. You're gaining too much weight. Your baby's going to get too big. All of that stuff is completely unhealthy and really not evidence based, actually. Um, so after my fourth was born, I again went to, you know, doing these diets, and was it maybe a year later or two years later? I just, I was, I was, I couldn't do it anymore. I would binge because, you know, and go down that cycle and feel guilty. Like, you know, I, I, do you hear my dog barking? I like your dog. I, I would binge and that was really the point where I came to that I cannot continue the rest of my life like this, right? So the period where I was having babies, okay, it was like an on and off period, right? It's a time of a lot of transition of our bodies. So it's easier to accept. But I said, I'm like, I can't continue living my whole life like that. I, it's not, it's not nice. It's not fun. I have to lose out on social events because I, 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 I can't eat what everyone else is eating. Um, and it makes me sad and it makes me unhappy. And then it, I end up binging and feeling guilty about myself afterward. So, and I did like every diet, the keto diet, like, oh my gosh, it's so unhealthy. For those who don't know what the keto diet is, it's basically restricting almost all carbs. Um, for some medical conditions, it's healthy, but otherwise it's not for the general population. Just thinking that I did that, I can't believe it. But, you know, the headaches that I had to put up with, all of these things, you know, all the different diets. And um, I, I realized there has to be another way. I remember between my second and third, I had come across a book and it was called, and again, I think that this was the start of opening my mind up to intuitive eating. It was called How to Eat Your Cake and Have Your Skinny Jeans Too. I don't know if you've heard of it. So it's, it was, again, it was along the lines of intuitive eating, but it was basically someone who, again, was not a dietitian, nutritionist, but someone who had their own personal experience or wrote about it. But what they basically said is that you obsess over food when you restrict. And so instead of that, you know, eat it mindfully, have whatever you want, but sit down when you're eating it pay attention to the flavor, pay attention to the texture, um, eat it slowly and enjoy it. And they said that when you start to do that, you also should track, you know, how do you feel after you eat something? Do you feel good after you eat something? Do you not feel good? It was a small book. And then somehow I came across a Jewish woman's intuitive eating group on Facebook um, and so I joined that and just, you know, learned from, from people and from things, but again, it wasn't this place of I, me realizing how bad diet culture is. It was more from a place like I'm going to lose weight if I do intuitive eating and I'll be able to eat all the things and it's not going to plague me and it's not going to, um, you know, distress me for the rest of my life. And like a lot of to me with that, at that point, like, oh, intuitive eating freedom, but like weight loss. Right. And I'm like, uh, right, exactly. That that's and it took me a while to first of all to realize that intuitive eating is a work in progress that it takes forever. It's a lifelong work to do. That's firstly, and secondly, I I came you know I I came along to the realization and to the awareness that it's not to lose weight. And that acceptance, body acceptance is also a lifelong work. And the two have to go hand in hand and how I, I needed to change. I needed to shift my way of thinking and saying, I'm going to exercise because I enjoy it. Because there were some exercise, you know, types of exercise like Pilates, yoga, bar, I love those, but I would make myself run. I would make myself do Zumba, you know, all this jumping that I didn't enjoy. Um, the running made my knees hurt, but I, I had to do it. So I had to exercise six times a week, um, you know, three times with the strength training, with the weights and the Pilates, which I enjoyed. And then three times with the running and the cardio, you know, all of this craziness. And also it was at that point that I realized this was, you know, maybe a few years after my fourth, I said, I'm like, 
I don't like it and I don't have to do it. I shouldn't have to do it, especially if I'm doing it from a place of self-love. If I wanted to run a marathon or a three, uh, 5k or something, then that's great. I would do it from a place of self-love, but I wasn't doing it from that. I was doing it from, this is how, you know, I have to incorporate this. Otherwise I won't lose weight. And, um, so I, I, it took me a while to brew, to cook this, all of these concepts and it, the seeds were planted even before, I think it was after my third pregnancy, not after my second, it was after my third, where the seeds started to, you know, were planted in my head about, um, this whole entire school of thought. And then I came across Christy Harrison's podcast. Um, do, do you know? Of course. Food psych. Yeah. Yeah. One of the diet, like the main dietitians in the space, who she also wrote a really good book, Anti Diet. And a lot of people start with her podcast because by now she's in like the 200s or 300s and she has so much information and knowledge on the topic. Right. Yeah. So um, I came across her podcast. Podcasts are a blessing. You know, um, they, they are so amazing how we can learn so much from them. And then I binged all of the, you know, I, I Googled, I mean, I Googled, I searched in Spotify intuitive eating um, to find out more uh, about this and really learn it in depth, not just have this like idea and be on a Facebook group, which is nice, but you're not learning from professionals about it. Um, and then there, I, there was like a, it's not a TED talk because it was a Jewish thing. I forgot what it's called. And I even forgot the woman's name. It's but there was a talk woman. with um, Sarah Kupfer. Yes, her. And then there was another woman. I forgot her name. Yeah. TV Pill? So I'm sorry. TV Pill? What was the name? TV Pill. Yes, exactly. Yes. So you found those and they spoke to you. Yeah, they really did. It was, it was something else to see Orthodox Jewish woman like myself, um, you know, explaining, they explain things in such a clear way. And I think that that also, that, that was really, you know, big turning point for me. And I remember showing it to friends and saying, Hey, look, look at this. Like, you know, we have to think this way. Um, and so, yeah, you know, it's a life, it's a lifelong work in progress, but I learned about health at every size and, um, you know, continue to learn on podcasts, on social media, um, and try to surround myself with, with people like that, with healthy people. So you sort of made that like mindset shift. Like I know you interviewed Rachel Goodman and Rachel Tuckman on your podcast, and that's sort of like is that like sort of how you counsel your, I mean, I guess you're saying with the patients, it's, it's shorter, but like with people in your, your Letic community, is that like, is there like a body image piece or like, is there like a support around that? I'm just curious. Cause I feel like it's so it's women really need that. Yes, absolutely. I use my platform. I, I was passionate about this way long ago and I was actually grateful that I was able to create a platform and now I'm able to also be somebody that advocates for this. So just another person bringing awareness to women about uh, this whole, you know, health at every size and intuitive eating and how it's not about the way it's about health, um, which is not dependent on weight when you control for factors such as how active somebody is. And I have to say, I deal a lot with women who tell me, who message me, who talk to me and tell me how much shame they face when they go to their provider, when they go to their doctor or midwife. Those, now it's not everybody, but those that shame them for gaining too much weight and over hyper-focus on that. I think there are some that, some women have told me like they've gotten such derogatory disgusting comments from their providers you know like coming to a visit and one woman told me this is one of the the things I can think of she told me you know it was like Hanukkah time and after Hanukkah she went to her appointment and I think it was closer to um, the end of her pregnancy so she was going more frequently so it was about like two weeks from her last appointment and she had gained a, a, a number of pounds that her doctor decided is not good that she gained so much in this time and said to her, Oh, you know, you really enjoyed those latkes, didn't you? 
It's so terrible. I mean, I see it all the time with my clients that like, there's so many judgments made about somebody's body, somebody's weight, somebody's eating habits, somebody's lazy, you know, like how lazy they are, how active they are. It's terrible. And actually it's interesting because um, I'm pregnant now with my fourth, I told you, and thank you. And, um, and I'm in like the obese category. Like this is the first time that I've ever been in that category. And now they're, um, first of all, they're making me have sonograms every month because I'm so high risk. And um, second of all, like just to say, like my blood pressure has like always been very good. And like I exercised this whole pregnancy and I was actually just having this conversation with my doula, like one day this week, I was talking to her. I was like, is it really tr like, do you see it in action that a woman who's considered overweight or obese, like they're at higher risk of complications with birth? And she said, not at all. And a lot of times the women who are in larger bodies do better. They have easier times. And I was like, then why are we still prescribing weight loss? Why are we still putting people in the obese category? Why? And my, and like, I just really don't understand it. Like, it's just like, I don't, I don't like, I don't like, this is my work. So like, I don't feel bad about it because I know like, this is my weight, you know, my weight's changed. Like I, I had my first baby at 21 and now I'm 31. So like everything's totally different, you know? But like for some women who just don't realize that that's part of life and things change your weight, like medications and life situations and all those things, like they just feel like, like they're in a foreign body, which is normal to feel. It does feel like that, but also like, and it's their fault. Right. Exactly. That piece of, and it's their fault and they must be doing something to cause it. And I have to say along the lines of what you said with, you know, complications, etc. There are there are things that heavier women are at greater risk for. I'm not going to say that there are not. That being said, you want to look at percentages. So it's when we say higher risk, we're not saying you're you know, you're twice as likely or and, and much more likely to have, have this complication. Yes, you're at slight, slightly higher risk, but we're not controlling for, for lifestyle things, you know, and something like gestational diabetes. Yes, women who are heavier are at greater risk, but guess what? Many people who are slim and thin and healthy get gestational diabetes too. And so even if you're at higher risk for certain things that A is not necessarily within your control because people are at higher risk for things in a smaller body too. People who have other conditions are at higher risk. They have an autoimmune condition. They're also at higher risk for things. Is it their fault that they're, they have an autoimmune condition? No. Our, and, and again, with, with heavier women, if we keep on perpetuating this idea that it's all their fault without considering, you know, and you can listen to my, my podcast with Rachel Tuckman, where she talks about there's so many environmental factors and socioeconomic factors that play into this. So we can't say that this is their fault. Um, it's much more complex than this. And so even if they are at higher risk, so they deserve compassionate care to follow, to follow them without the judgment piece of it. And, and I think that women who are who are of higher weight, they're stigmatized by their providers. And that I think is the biggest problem where their providers are like, well, you are obese. So you are, are at higher risk for blah, blah, blah. You know, like, because you are obese, because almost like because you're doing drugs, your baby is at higher risk for having neurological defects. Almost like that. Like they're saying it in such a derogatory way. We have to look at it as yeah, so you are at higher risk for certain things. So yes, we're going to monitor you sooner. Yes, maybe we'll take a, um, the glucose, you know, look at your glucose tests earlier on in your pregnancy. But somebody who has something other, some other condition, we'll do that for them too. So even if you are at higher risk, yes, I, I, I'm not going to, you know, there are more complications with someone who has to have a C-section who's larger. There are um, difficulties with, for example, tracing the heart rate. Um, those monitors are really not engineered well for many reasons. 
and it does make it more difficult for us. And again, this is depending on the structure of a patient. Some patients, even if they're of higher weight, the weight is distributed differently. So for the patients where it's all distributed in their belly, then it, it can be harder for us to trace the baby's heart rate and it can be more time consuming. Um, and so these people deserve more care, like they deserve more attention and more care. But instead of doing that, we just restrict them and say like, you know, okay, just stay in bed because it's much easier for me to monitor you that way. Um, and uh, and, I and, and just further the stigma, like it's your fault, like, and you deserve this lo lower level of care. Right, right. We're already coming at them with a bias. Like they did it. And in medicine, we're taught in medicine and nursing that we need to pro provide unbiased care, judgment-free. Now, again, we're all humans. We're all going to have our opinions on things. But when we provide the care, we have to do it in the same way for every single patient, regardless of how they are. And especially for people who are in larger bodies, they're already coming with a lot of shame and we're seeing their bodies, you know, they're exposed. So they feel a lot, you know, they're, 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 they feel a lot of shame and it's, it's, it's a, a challenge for them. Like they, they worry about this, like they're worried about how they will be perceived. And yes, it's more difficult when someone has an epidural and they're immobilized and we have to reposition them and they need um, you know, manpower. Yes, it's difficult. It's more difficult. So we need an extra nurse so that we can do it, but they deserve that care. They deserve that extra nurse to be doing that. Um, unfortunately, you know, they're, they're in real life, the staffing is not always great. So it's harder. So nurses will get resentful. Like, oh, they cause that to themselves. So it's their fault. So that's why, you know, um, so that's my take on people in larger bodies. You may be at higher risk for, for certain things, but then when you start to control for different factors, like you said, you had your blood pressure is normal. Um, I, I don't know if you have you know gestational diabetes or any insulin resistant. No, you don't. So your your risk, your risks are lower than if somebody were of the same weight as you and were sedentary or had um, blood pressure issues or other things, which again can be familial and genetic too. So it's not necessarily their fault. Um, but we, we just look at the weight and we can't look past it. Right. And that's part of the medical uh, fat phobia that like, um, yeah, like I see in my, with my doctor and I see it with a lot in a lot of medical places, like I hear from my clients also that they're just, that that is part of the reason why like weight stigma is so dangerous in the medical setting because uh, patients are afraid to go to the doctor. So then they don't go and they have like worse outcomes, but really like, I understand why they're scared. They're like totally like shamed and put down in so many doctor's offices. It's like, they just feel like it's terrible about themselves. It's, it's, it's really terrible. Right, right. They delay seeking care. Exactly. And then so when we look at outcomes for uh, people of bigger size versus people of smaller size, and the outcomes are worse, are we accounting for the fact that they're delaying care, or they're being cared for um, in a judgmental way? So the, the doctor, you know, if they come in and they have arthritis, um, and their BMI is 50, but someone else comes in and they are complaining of arthritis and their BMI is 25, they're going to be cared for differently. They're going to be told they're not going to have as many extensive tests. The doctor's going to say the weight, it's, it's the weight that's the problem. Go lose the weight and you'll be fine without looking into it more thoroughly. Um, so do we, we don't account for that when we look at studies with outcomes for larger people and smaller people, you know, so we don't take into account the bias that the medical community may have when we treat patients. It's so great that you're like spreading this message, especially I, I mean, it's funny because I had this um, conversation with a client about, about body image and um, pregnancy. And I said, like, I wanted to talk about it on my podcast about my own personal experience, but ended up not doing it so much because it's so nuanced and it's so different for so many people. And like, it's so, it's so real. Like, I'm not, I'm not um, negating that. Like, I'm not going to say like, oh yeah, but like you're carrying a healthy baby. So just accept yourself. Like, no, that's not really the way it works. Like we've been so, like you said, like the media pushes like 
your get your body back so we're all like thinking like yeah it's normal like after I have a baby I want to look like I didn't just have a baby but like why why do we want to look like that like we just went through the most like miraculous thing ever that our body let us do you know but at the same time it is really hard to have when whenever like a, your body's changed like think about teenagers you know like it's awkward it's weird it's different like it's normal to feel that way but it's also like the conversation has to be had that like it's also really beautiful and like really a privilege and like there's a reason why Hashem made us women the carriers of babies you know so like just having that conversation and like shifting the focus is like it's really really important so I'm really happy yeah and spreading the message yeah and and I have to say another point that comes to mind when you talk about this weight loss after having a baby is that there's this erroneous association between somebody losing their baby weight to someone having their life together. They must have their life together because they're back in their pre-pregnancy clothes. And so externally they look like everything's just great. That's not true. Right, right. I have probably said this on my podcast a hundred times, but I have a friend we're always like talking about people in our community, like, how do they have so many kids? Like, it's crazy. Like they look so put together. And I was, and I always just tell her, I'm like, you know what? either like Hashem just gave them more kawash than us. Like they just have like, they're more patient or whatever, or like, they're just totally faking it. And like, we see that all, I mean, I see that all the time because I get like, I have the privilege of seeing people's lives more intimately because I counsel people. Um, and it's like, it's really true. Like we're all sort of just faking it because like life is really hard. Kids are really hard. Body image stuff's really hard. Like you don't, no one's meant to bounce back that's like not meant to happen you know we're supposed to be like human and like struggle and like obviously take care of ourselves like that's really important but like that's all like so normal and healthy and like it's just important I guess that we're all that we like show like show that side of ourselves because like life is hard you know yeah it's it's called snapback culture where, you know, as soon as you can snap back to what your body looked like, and it's further putting stress and distress on mothers who are already so overwhelmed, new mothers, their body has to heal. They have to focus on their body healing. They have to focus on taking care of their little baby. And we're adding to that. There's so many pressures already. Like there's no, you know, the, the, the maternity leave in this country is so limited and women have to feel like they have to run back to work. And if they have other children, other responsibilities, they have those stressors after having a baby. And so now we're adding an extra layer, another stressor of like, and you also have to snap back and look, look like you never had a baby. Um, and, and instead it's, yes, it's, it's hard. It really is hard to accept the body changes for most people. But like you said, look at it from a place of, of gratitude. This helps me gratitude for what my body did. Not everybody's bodies are able to do what I did, what my body did. And I'm so grateful for my body that I was able to do that. When I move, when I exercise, when I go to my yoga or Pilates class, I, I again, I restructure my focus. I'm not doing this so that I can have a tight, you know, uh, a, a good core and, and look like I have a six pack or whatever. I'm doing this because I'm moving my body that's so good to me that moves, that is able to move in these ways and um, I, I'm, I'm making it strong. So I, I just think it adds so much stress to women and you have to be careful when you comment on somebody's body and say, wow, you look so good. You lost so much weight because you don't know the reasons for why someone lost weight. You don't know if it's because it's anxiety related. You don't know if someone already has an eating disorder. So now you're complimenting them for losing so much weight. So now you're, it's going to send them into a cycle of losing more weight so that they can get more compliments. And I, I heard a story not long ago, someone who had a baby with a lot of complications and spent a lot of time in the NICU and uh, almost lost her baby and had a very traumatic birth. And at the bris, and because she was running back and forth to the hospital, to the NICU, and just she couldn't take care of herself. And that's why she lost a lot of weight um, pretty quickly. And then two weeks later, when her baby actually had his bris, people came over to her and said, wow, you look like you never had a baby. This is a woman that almost lost her baby. That's not a compliment to her. So sad. Like, it like hurts me to hear that. So sad. 
Yeah. You know what? It's also, it's like people's bodies become public property when you get pregnant. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I, I'm like, I don't like when people comment on my body and I don't like when people touch my body and it's hard for me to be so pregnant. Cause like, it's just, I mean, to like, just to like, just to be understand, like, I, I know, like when I see someone who's like very pregnant, like it's, it's very obvious. It's not like weird that people notice. Like I always like just try to normalize that. Like, it's not weird that we notice people's physical features. Like we live in a physical world, but it's like, it is very odd the way that it becomes so part of like, you know, public conversation. Like, let's talk about that person's stomach now and like how big it got. And, you know, it's like, could you not? Sure it's not twins? I've heard so many things this pregnancy and I probably said stupid things also. I have to say that, you know, like we make mistakes. It's normal. I make mistakes too. Right. No, but it's important to like acknowledge that like, it's just really like people shouldn't say anything about anyone's bodies. Like it's just, it's just like really never comfortable, honestly, (laughs) at least that's how I feel. Um, No, I I agree with you. And, and again, I I also, I catch myself when I see someone I haven't seen in a long time and they suddenly lost a lot of weight. I really, I I catch myself because it's so deeply ingrained in, in, in us as a society growing up. And, and, you know, like I bite my tongue, I'm not going to say, don't say anything to them about their, their losing weight, you know? Um, because again, it can be harmful. It's true. And I, I, I have to say I'm the same way. Like, like we're just so conditioned to notice when somebody lost weight and think of it as a compliment, but it's like, the more you hear these stories, like of people telling me like, yeah, you know why I lost weight? Cause I had cancer. You know why I lost weight? Because I was so depressed. I couldn't eat like, yeah, you're literally complimenting cancer, depression, eating disorders. Like, I know, like sometimes I say, like, I know, like I sound extreme. Cause like, Oh, what's the big deal? You compliment someone's weight loss. We all want weight loss, quote unquote, but it's like, no, it really is a big deal. Like we really have come to compliment illnesses in this world, you know? So we have to, we just have to spread that message because it's just, it's dysfunctional. Yeah. And I have to say, talking about medical conditions and, and complimenting and praising somebody for losing weight because they have a, a medical condition they don't want to have. I, this brings to mind another story that someone told me that she had hyperemesis gravidarum, which is otherwise known as HG, which is extreme nausea and vomiting to the point where their electrolyte balances, people have to be hospitalized, they're malnourished. Um, back in the day before we had IV fluids, people would die because of it, women would die. And there was one woman that told me she had it and it was just absolutely terrible. She was bedridden for nine months in and out of the hospital. And her doctor told her she's so lucky because she gained so little weight during her pregnancy because she had this condition. It's so terrible. It's so terrible. I don't even know what to say. Like, I'm not surprised because I hear these things all the time, but it's like, I hope like the listeners really like, you know, gain from this conversation because it's like really sad. And it's not just like her friend said that her doctor said that, you know, like we've really like taken it overboard. It's just so insane. And I know I happen to know like two people well who have had that in their pregnancies. Like one woman told me like, she just, she literally can't get out of bed, but she can't watch TV or anything distract herself because it makes the nausea where she has to stare at the ceiling. And I'm like, every time someone asks me how I'm feeling, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like, I don't feel great, but like, it's crazy. Like our bodies, like most of us go through pregnancy. Like it, it's not super comfortable, but like our bodies literally grow a human, you know? And then we're complaining about the weight. It's like, I don't know, just so important to to recognize that. And like you said, body gratitude, that's always like what I tell clients, like as a, as a practice body image is like a practice, right? Like you said, like intuitive eating is like a practice. We're always doing, we're always striving for better. So like, how do you love your body? Like, well, jumping from body hatred to body, to body love is very, very hard, but like there are practices you could do. Like I might not love the way my body looks and that might be from society or whatever, but I could practice gratitude I could say like thank you to this body for carrying this baby or for nursing this baby or for walking or for working or for the hundreds of things we do with our body every single day so like that is a practice that somebody can start doing and it really does make a difference yeah totally and also I just have to throw it in there that don't ask people if they're pregnant really don't I I don't I don't say anything unless the person initiates it themselves because Firstly, maybe they are pregnant, but they're earlier on and they're showing early, but they're not ready to announce the news. 
Um, and more so, you know, talking about this bounce back culture and everything for someone who had a loss, like a later, you know, later term loss in their pregnancy, um, and they're not bouncing back, it can be absolutely just so painful for them to be asked if they're pregnant. Um, I mean, and, and that's like an extreme scenario, but you never know what someone's going through. And if they, and, and people just feel uncomfortable, like, let the person bring it up. If they want to talk about their pregnancy, they will bring it up with you. They'll say something to you. It's really true. I, I really try hard. Even if someone's like 10 months pregnant, I just, just don't say it. It's just not worth it. Like, just don't say it. And if they want to talk about it, they will talk about it. And um, I guess like it, recognizing that it could be awkward. Like I have so many friends who are like, it's so awkward telling people I'm pregnant. I'm like, yeah, I know. Like for some people are more like, I know with my first pregnancy, I was very, I didn't want anyone to talk about it, whatever. That was a whole anxiety that came with my first pregnancy. But like, I had a friend who was so excited and talking about her bump. And I was like, so it's so not my speed, but like different people are like that, you know? So like some people just don't want to talk about it. Like it's uncomfortable for them and it's, it's so normal. Yeah. Um, okay. So could you tell the listeners where they could find you or if they want to join your program or work with you? Yes. So you can find me, my website is yoledacademy.com. That's Y-O-L-E-D-E-T, which, which is, um, which means a woman who uh, gave birth in, in Hebrew. It's a very unique term. We don't have a, an equivalent in English. So it's yoledacademy.com. Um, I'm on Instagram, yoledacademy. And I have a podcast, which is the Happy Birth Way podcast. So you can find it on all of the popular podcast platforms. Um, so those are the three ways you can reach me. I have, um, I, I offer again, the Yolada community, which is a membership-based, subscription-based membership. And um, in, in that way, I provide more individualized support to members and as well, they have support from each other. And um, the after the birth course, and I have another course that is in the works that is going to be launched shortly. I'm very excited for that one. Um, and yeah, so, you know, coming out with more things, guides and, and um, you know, it, it, it's a constantly evolving. It's so cool. I have to ask, why is your podcast called the Happy Birthway Podcast? Did you ever explain that on the podcast? Did I miss it? No, it's just, it's a take on the happy birthday. And honestly, like, I just didn't have a name for it. I wanted to have, I wanted it to have birth in it. And I just woke up one day and I'm like, you know, I'm all about making sure that it's not just a healthy mom. And actually this is in my outro. It's not just about a healthy mom and healthy baby. It's about a happy mother too. And who comes out satisfied from her birth experience. And that's like a, a huge thing that I focus on where it, it, don't, don't like gaslight even a mother and just say, well, healthy mother, healthy baby, you made it through. So who cares um, about how you actually experience everything emotionally? Um, because that was me. And, and so you know, happy birth way. <laughs> it's just the podcast that came to mind. I wanted people to be able to find it. Yola Dead is a little bit more of a obscure, you know, term. People are not putting in Yola Dead. So that's very cute. Actually, I'm going through this now because like I have a scheduled C-section a week after my due date because I had a breech baby with my last. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't want to have a C-section. And my doctor's like, you really have to get your priorities straight. And I'm like, um she's like healthy baby healthy mom I'm like I know but I really don't want to you know I spoke about that on my podcast like last week because I was just like grappling with the whole thing you know like like on the one hand I'm like so happy to be pregnant and like Baruch Hashem, but on the other hand like I don't want to have abdominal surgery like really badly I don't want to have that you know so you want to try to have a, a VBAC or a vaginal birth after a cesarean if yeah. possible yeah. And, and she said, if you don't go into labor by 41 weeks, then you have a C-section. So it's interesting because, um, yes, yeah, so like you said, unhealthy. So what are we, first of all, what are we defining as healthy? Healthy, um, it, healthier is having a safe vaginal birth after cesarean. Um, that's healthier than having major abdominal surgery. So of course you want, you prefer that. But I have to also tell you, there are some providers you, um, you know, again, you're later on, so I, I don't know how far along you are and what your options are. There are some providers that will induce uh, women who want to have a VBAC. It's low and slow. They're a lot more careful about it, but I've seen many that are, that were wonderful and beautiful. And um, also, you, you know, the guidelines are to be induced 
you know, to have your baby if you haven't had it yet, somewhere between 40 and 42 weeks. So that's something else to keep in mind if it's, if it's you know, you can, I've had patients that prolonged and waited until 42 weeks. Um, so it's just an option that you can know about and further decide with your provider. Again, this is never medical advice, but these are right. things that are important to know. With your fourth, like with your fourth baby, like with your first baby, like you don't know anything and you don't say anything because you just are like, okay, just take care of me. But it's true. Like with baby number four, you feel a little bit more. And then like with your podcast and with whatever, all the things that you try to do with, as you get more familiar with, you know, pregnancy and birth, it does become easier to advocate for yourself. So I appreciate that. Um, okay. So thank you so much for coming on. This was so much fun. And um, I'm going to put all your information in the show notes so people could find you directly like that thank you have a great day thank you thanks for having me okay sure bye thank you all so much for being here on my podcast get into it with gila if you'd like to learn more about what i do and what intuitive eating is please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or follow me on instagram at gila glassberg thank you so much have a great day